Thanks be to God. We have uh, Christ the King Sunday. We have a first lesson that says um, God will raise up a righteous branch and he shall reign as king. And the choir sings about king of glory and king of peace. So if we play the word association game and we think about king, what really comes to your mind with that word? Could be anything. Maybe it's King Charles, who's recently been in the news and has finally succeeded the longest reigning monarch in England, Queen Elizabeth. What kind of king will he be? That's a question, and some say it doesn't really matter that much because the king and much of the monarchy is losing its influence and its importance. Does the word king maybe make you think of um, a famous uh, Bible figure? One of the most familiar names in the Bible David, a king, or is it King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? <laughs> I never heard of them either, but apparently they're one of the most famous bands in the whole world, and they're planning a worldwide tour, and everybody's got their attention focused on them. You can Google it. Maybe the word king indeed brings up a mixed bag of responses for each of us. King Charles, you know, unless you're like a royal infatuated person, you know, most of us say, meh. <laughs> king as a political term. Some of you might know that the Declaration of Independence has some really famous lines in it, written by Thomas Jefferson. But most of the document, it's really long, it is sentence after sentence, grievances against a certain king, King George who was really hated by the colonists in 1776. So we come from a culture, a democracy, dubious, leery of kings, and weary, actually, of anybody who wants to rule like a king. Have any of us actually lived under a king? Been ruled by a king? So as we think about Christ the King Sunday, you see it gets a little problematic. We have challenges. What kind of king is Jesus? What does it mean anyway that we call him king, especially when there's so many mixed emotions about what king means for us? Christ the King Sunday was established about 100 years ago by Pope Pius XI, the beginning of the 20th century, and he did it in response to significant and growing threats from secularism and fascism. This is what the Pope said more than 100 years ago. When people recognize both in private and public life that Christ is king, society will at last receive the great blessings of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. That seems like a wonderful thought. Maybe a bit ambitious. If we just affirm Christ as king, the world will settle down. All the anxiety and all the polarization will go away. If we just affirm Christ as king, no more fascism. Wow, imagine that. Maybe not. This is an ever-growing number of people around the church who are saying we should actually get rid of this Sunday and its name because it doesn't really work anymore. It's got too many problems. Our first passage, which we heard from Jeremiah, Roger read, reminds us how bad things can get. People 
turn inward instead of outward. People get frantic and scattered and power is abused even by shepherds, Jeremiah says. And Jeremiah points to another reign. It's God's reign where all things are made right and the shepherd actually cares for God's people. We will we keep looking for and anticipating that. In fact, we recall the words of the great shepherd that I mentioned at the baptismal font at the beginning of worship. The Lord is my shepherd. I will fear no evil. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is how we're meant to live under God's reign in God's care forever all our days. In the first century... Not unlike these days, the term king was also mixed and pretty unclear. Uh, Across a lot of the history before Jesus and a lot of the history after Jesus, most kings ruled with an iron fist and power and intimidation. In fact, in the first century of Palestine, in and around Jerusalem, the government, acting on the orders from Caesar, who functioned like a king, crucifixion was a common method of execution meant to humiliate the condemned, meant to intimidate the populace, and thereby project imperial power. This was often the way of kings throughout the whole history of human society. Brutality, power, oppression, intimidation. So what about Christ the king? How does this even make sense? So listen now to Luke 23 or read along with me. It's in the bulletin. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who were hanged there, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. So this is often the passage on Christ the King Sunday, this passage from Luke 23, because the term king associated with Jesus comes up several times. But in this passage, our more common associations with the term king get quickly confused. This is not a regal moment like a coronation. It's nothing like royal infatuation in these verses. This is a moment of distress. This is a moment of horror. 
The plot of Luke's gospel for 22 chapters has carried us now in chapter 23, you can see, to the place of the skull. Only terrible and traumatizing things happen in that place. Jesus' crucifixion is going to happen in that place. He's about to be killed on a cross. And again, this is the most gross and horrific and public and oppressive way to die that those in power use to make a point. And we have those lines. He saved others. See if he can save himself. The soldiers mocked him. Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, come on, show us. And there was inscription over him, king of the Jews, right above his head. It is impossible to miss the sarcasm. It's impossible to miss the irony here. This is not a regal moment. This is no longer about honor and dignity given to Jesus. In fact, it's the exact opposite. But this should not really surprise us or trouble us. Even though Jesus came on the scene and he said, I've come to inaugurate the kingdom of God, to initiate and bring about the reign of God, nothing about Jesus has ever been regal. Indeed, almost everything about Jesus and the inauguration of the reign of God, God's kingdom, has turned upside down any traditional thinking about a king. Right? Let me just remind you uh, a little bit of this from Luke's gospel. We've come to the place of the skull, and horror is about to happen. And there's the inscription, King of the Jews. But back in Luke 1, Mary learns that she's pregnant with the Holy Child. And she sings to the Lord what's known as Mary's Magnificat, which is all about the reversal of the normal order, power, intimidation, brutality, oppression, to God's order. God's order. This is what she sings. The mighty one does great things. He scatters the proud. He lifts up the lowly. He brings down the haughty and the powerful. Lifts up the downtrodden. He fills the hungry with good things. And he sends the rich away empty. We get an early glimpse here from Mary in chapter 1 about the coming of God's kingdom reign. In the next chapter, you know the story. We look forward to hearing it again in just a few weeks as we move into Advent and Christmas, the Savior is born in a manger among the lowly. This is called good news of great joy for all the people. That's what the choir sings in the fields. But it's not a regal coronation. This is the God of the universe entering the world in the weakest and lowest place, a manger surrounded by peasants, shepherds, the most lowly. And Jesus' life from this story will unfold among more peasants and more poor people and tax collectors and women and widows and the hurting and the sad. And as Jesus grows and teaches and embodies this coming reign, the kingdom of heaven, you know this, the kingdom God has in mind. Coming in Jesus is one of servanthood. Jesus doesn't come to rule over. He keeps saying this. 
I am among you as one who serves. Luke 22. He's just said this. The reign, the reign that he has in mind is one of mercy. Be merciful just as God is merciful, Jesus says in Luke 6. And the key action he has in mind for all his followers, the essence of loving your neighbor is to show mercy. As he tells it in Luke, in chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, show mercy. We've so often gotten all of this wrong. The world seems so inclined to power, drawn to kings who rule and establish authority and show their might, intimidating and oppressing. This is what we seem to be drawn to. Jesus keeps showing us another way. Life is not found in mocking others. Life is not found in putting others down or establishing yourself in power. Life is meant to be about servanthood, helping others, doing for others the Jesus coming kingdom. I heard a recent interview with Bono, who's the lead person in the great band U2, highly popular. This is what Bono said. Any fame that anyone gains... He was talking about himself. Any success that any of us achieve should be used as currency for making the world better. He stressed that adulation for him and his bandmates had to be turned to dedication and servanthood, to helping others, even working in the world for a better world, addressing the biggest problems of the world. And if you know anything about Bono and you too, they have certainly been leaders in fighting world hunger and fighting against AIDS and fighting against climate crisis and so many other critical issues. We should take note. Fame, success that any of us gain should be used as currency to make the world better. Sounds like an effort to follow Jesus who comes to bring about a different kind of reign who follow Jesus, who comes to be a different kind of king. Indeed, whenever we see the cross carried into battle, and we saw it in the Crusades, we even saw it in the Capitol on January 6th, the cross carried in. That's a wrong interpretation of what Jesus comes to inaugurate. Not forcing away, but changing the world through love. Not uh, any intimidation and brutality and power, but a reversal of what the world tends to follow. Instead of domination, servanthood. Instead of mockery, kindness. Instead of cruelty, mercy. This is the way we're called to live. Following that kind of king. Then if we keep looking at this passage even more closely where Jesus is mocked as a king, we can even see on a deeper level the hidden but radiant portrait of Christ's reign of mercy, his reign of servanthood, his reign of compassion. His opponents mean to mock him. And they declare the truth, Messiah and King. Even when his tormentors do their worst, what does the Messiah and the King of Mercy say? 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All through the Gospel of Luke, the same Jesus has preached about and told stories about and shown what forgiveness looks like. And finally, when one of the thieves asked Jesus to remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus responds with those really breathtaking words today. You will be with me in paradise. If in Caesar's kingdom, the gates of imperial privilege swing shut, especially in the horrors of capital punishment in the place of the skull, in Christ's reign, under Christ the king, mocked or not, the gates of love and forgiveness are swung all the way open. Here's a king who refuses to use his power even to fend off his opponents, much less take vengeance on them, and instead does the opposite, the opposite, calling on God to forgive them. Not a contemptuous tyrant. Jesus' kingdom is a reign of servanthood and neighborhood and community and love and mercy And it's open to everyone. There's something else here, and it's very important to note in this passage. This whole scene unfolds at the place of the skull. Just think of that term. Can you imagine a more God-forsaken place? The place of the skull is where people are crucified, where Power seeks to rule with violence where terror is prominent and there's no hope. And yet even there, God is present and God is at work. God is active and making a point, bringing forgiveness and goodness and light in all the places where we might assume God is never even anywhere close. This is the ironic and revolutionary logic of the Gospels. In in the very place that seems God-forsaken, there precisely, there, God reigns. Where God's reign is mocked and Caesar's reign seems triumphant, even there, God is present and God reigns. We shouldn't miss this. You and I have seen this over and over. In the darkest moments that we can imagine, where despair and hurt seem most prevalent, in horrible times of grief and sadness, even this week in Charlottesville, another community rocked by senseless violence, there, precisely there, God reigns. Christ the king, not like Caesar, but like God, who loves us all, who's present with us all, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter where we find ourselves, God is there working in all things, even over evil and death, to show us indeed nothing, not anything can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing, nowhere. You know, we, we keep on amidst trying times. We just keep on. Another violent shooting 
in a college town, more violent shootings out on our streets, more mess in politics, more concern about the climate, continuing wars, hard times. Yet the church ends its liturgical year saying this, Christ reigns, and his reign is with mercy, forgiveness, love, and it's for peace. And Christ, the King, shows us how to live with mercy, with love, working for justice, for peace. We know what we do. We keep on. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. You love us well, dear God. You keep showing us your good news amidst all the bad news. You keep reminding us that you reign. We lean deeply into your presence and your promises. Keep covering us with your spirit. Keep showing us the way, the way of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.